episode times two we got some listens i was you know i was checking out the analytics uh we got like one canadian device listened that's amazing i was like who the fuck who would even does that mean a random yeah that sounds insane it's interesting because it shows you how many unique devices have listened and like what region they're in Anchor's pretty sick. Yeah. It's a good free service. It's quite good. Yeah, well, it's getting out there. So and we got more prepare yourself, world. God, I, but seriously, I don't want my fucking family to listen to it, man. <laughs> Especially my parents. <laughs> I mean, so I told my sister's fiance, Why you know. Why do you curse so much? <laughs> it's not just the cursing, dude. I mean, I talk about gross stuff. Yeah, by their standards. I mean, compared to some other pods, this is relatively tame. Maybe. Speaking of gross stuff, uh, so today we're going to... Let, let's talk about shit. <laughs> oh, God. Let's talk about shit, baby. Let's talk about poop and pee. You lose. <laughs> oh my god, I'm 40. That's terrible. I, I just said that on a recording. I'm 40 years old. I, no, I, I, shit was not the topic. I, I don't know why I said that. I do have a lot of stories about shit, though. Times that I've... Some close calls I've had as a driver, as a professional driver. Let me tell you something. When you're out there on the road. Deep road. Mm, you could be in the middle of the city, man. Sometimes it's really hard to find a bathroom. This one time I picked up this old lady and uh, it was she was on like Albina. And she lived in deep Gresham, dude. Like 256. And it was, it was fucking, it was like 4 p.m. in the afternoon. So I had probably at least 90 minutes in the van, probably more. Um, and literally we got like two blocks. She was old as fuck and like a little bit um, comatose, I guess. I mean, so she was slumped over, you know, eyes closed, not responsive. And it was pouring rain, and we got we got about two blocks, and I realized, oh my god, I have to piss so fucking bad, dude. Like the type of piss where you you like sweat because it's like pushing, you know. And I mean, we were barely even on the road, so I knew there was no way I was gonna make it to her house. But she's so old, and she's in a fucking wheelchair, so it's not like I can stop and leave her in the van. Um. <clears throat> 
and I can't very well take her out of the van and then wheel her into the men's room with me, you know? So it was an impossible choice. So you know what I did? I fucking pulled over on Marine Drive in this strategic point where none of the cars would be able to see me if I stood on the one side of the van. And I stood just behind this old lady so she couldn't see me, and I pissed. I bet, dude, I bet I could get arrested for that. <laughs> There's something about, I don't know, being uh, having this old person in your care and like pissing right next to him. I have a fetish. <laughs> it was either that or piss my pants in the van, you know? I made the hard choice, man. Consequences be damned. So those are the kinds of things you confront when you're on the road. Something Jack Kerouac never told you. No, the actual topic for today's episode is two novels that greatly influenced my life and my devel the development of my personal philosophy. Because I know a lot of people are on here and they're like, what's this guy's deal? You know, is he liberal? Is he conservative? What, I mean, he's hating on wokes. He's hating on anti-wokes. I don't know. Where, where does he stand, you know? I don't know either, to be honest. The only label I really have for myself in modern terms is I feel, I feel that I am a disaffected liberal. Um, but let's not get too deep into that. Okay, so the two novels, not the only two, but two novels that I read as a young man that had a huge impact on, on how I view the world were in chronological order. The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand and, <clears throat> excuse me, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. The reason I selected these two books is that in a strange way, there's the central, the core philosophy of the novels are they stand in contrast to one another. Ayn Rand, obviously the creator of the philosophy of objectivism, author of such essays or, or books as uh, The Virtue of Selfishness. And then um, in contrast to that, you have Philip K. Dick's work, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which has a heavy focus on empathy and the importance, not even so much the importance, but the effect that empathy can have on society. So <clears throat> I don't remember exactly what age I was when I picked up The Fountainhead, but I only picked it up, I was probably 17, 18 maybe. I only picked it up because I liked the cover. I had no idea who Ayn Rand was, what objectivism was, I, you know, I had never heard of it, but the cover seemed cool. I liked the title. God, that's a good title. <sighs> so I bought it and then I started reading it and I was, I was, I was really quite taken. And I started telling, as I do, I was telling everybody around me, Hey, I'm reading this book. It's pretty cool. And I remember mentioning it to my mom and she got this look on her face. Like mm, she did not like which I didn't understand, you know? It was very confusing to me. Yeah, you had no idea that Rand was controversial. Yeah, especially the liberals. They don't like Ayn Rand. 
They don't like, but it's weird because it's not just liberals. It's uh, Christians and and uh, religious people. They also don't like her philosophy because it focuses on selfishness and the virtue of self-interest, these types of things. But, you know, I think a lot of people misunderstand what Ayn Rand meant about the virtue of selfishness. I think that there are... I think that Ayn Rand would say, and you know, I, I probably should have read more of her other work before I tried <laughs> going on in some uh, knowledgeable way about it, but fuck it, I'll just wing it. Um, I think that to Ayn Rand that there is ethical self-interest and non-ethical self-interest. It's similar to the philosophy of anarchy, actually, which is, you know... Anarchy is about free association with no with no government, so that every interaction between people or groups is taken uh, by by the individual's <clears throat> uh, free and open choice to do so. And I, I'm not an anarchist, and I'm not that well versed in it. But the point is that to an anarchist. Um, They, they they do uh, many of them operate by the nonviolent the nonviolence principle but um god what was the fucking i might have lost myself here yes. yeah i was trying to get to the point is is that you can be you can it's self interest is okay and i do believe that and it was it was a point that ayn rand first presented to me in my life as a burgeoning young adult and it actually was important for me to realize. But self-interest at the cost of others is not ethical self-interest. So it's not about mm, enriching yourself or getting yours at the expense of others, you know? Because that's not true self-interest. The thing is, is that if one truly respects individualism and the rights of the individual, then that means it's not just about your individualism or your individual rights. You respect that of, the, of others. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of... Sorry, go ahead. No, I just, I'm, I'm agreeing. Well, that was... I think that was really effectively captured in The Fountainhead. Uh, the main character of that novel is named Howard Rourke. He's an architect. He's a man driven purely by his work and to do the greatest creative work that, that is possible for him to do. Nothing will deter him from that, and no one. And the other characters in the book, many of them, they want Rourke. They want to control Rourke. They want him to give them access to his talent. Um... But Rourke, he's sort of the, uh, he's sort of Ayn Rand's uh, idea of a, of a Superman. He's not, he's not a realistic character. He's, he's very, I mean, I think a lot of criticisms that one might levy towards the Fountainheads, the characters are very, mm, not one-dimensional, but they're, they're simplistic because they're kind of 
they're more totems of these these ideas that Ayn Rand is trying to get across. You know, the the uh, the villain, for instance, is named Ellsworth Tui. And the villain of the novel and Rourke's antithesis, a man with a lust for power but no talent. Well, I wouldn't say Tui has no talent. Tui's talent is in manipulation. He's a, he's a demon of a human being, dude. He, I mean, the guy, it's so freaky the way he reminds you of how people are now, like a lot of politicians or journalists, the way, the way they talk out of the side of their mouths, how, you know, they say thing, say one thing, but mean another, and you can, you can see it, but it's so manipulative. He's so, and for Tui, the, the individual means nothing. It's all about, he, Ellsworth Tui is the ultimate collectivist, you know, every, it, truly um, a sort of communist uh, personification. And Ayn Rand, of course, emigrated here from communist Russia, and she hated communism. She loved the U.S. and capitalism. One thing that Michael Malice talks about in uh, The White Pill is... Ayn Rand um, testified at like yeah. Senate committees or, or, you know, Congress. She testified before Congress about how horrible it was in the USSR. No one believed. And they didn't believe her, which is fucking weird. They didn't. They didn't realize until much later. Just what? Was, yeah. Back then, a lot of people thought that communism was just this interesting, like, alternative experiment. You know, and they didn't want to believe that it was capable of doing the monstrous things that it was doing. But that's not really the point. Um, so, you know, what I really loved about the Fountainhead was these ideas that Ayn Rand was putting forth were, were very new to me. But additionally, I think what I love the most about that book, and I, I did read Atlas Shrugged as well, but I did not like that book. And it's funny because Atlas Shrugged is kind of Ayn Rand's attempt to explain her philosophy on a societal level, on like how it should be applied to society. Whereas The Fountainhead, which is far superior, is about an individual. One of my favorite Ayn Rand quotes is, uh, the smallest minority of all is the individual. I love that. So cool. But I really, I've, I have always been a man that enjoys <clears throat> that sort of um, story about like an, an, an artist's obsession, you know, to be the best, to be great. For instance, the movie Whiplash. I love the movie Whiplash. Even though I'm not really like that, I, I wish I was. But... I don't, I don't have the focus. I don't know. You don't have the T. <sighs> Howard Rourke had a high T level. What do you think that does? What kind of numbers do you think he was throwing down? Probably close to a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, there's a controversial scene in, um, 
in the fountainhead. It's the sex scene between Howard and Dominique. It's definitely borders on on forced sex. But the thing is, is that Dominique likes it, um, which obviously is also controversial. But the book was written by a It's not like a man talking about a woman enjoying being raped. It was a woman talking about it. And it's not, it's not exactly. It's that Dominique doesn't, she, she doesn't gain sexual pleasure from men that she doesn't respect. And the only type of man that she can respect is a man who is a paragon of, of talent and also has the will to take her. You know what I mean? That's what she, that's what she derives. That's the pleasure she derives from, from the experience. She loves Rourke, but she hates him. And she tries her best to destroy him throughout the novel. It's actually such a good fucking book, dude. The book is also full of a number of characters who are like Rourke in a way, in that they're extremely talented and but they've been defeated by the world, by the, by the collectivist world. It's broken them, but it can't break Rourke. And that's what Dominique hates about him. She wants him to break because she is bitter. She has been soured. I don't know, I can't think of the word. But she, in, initially she wants to destroy Rourke because she wants to prove that her assumptions that she's come to, which is that the world is fucked and that humanity doesn't even deserve the the types of things that talented people can provide because they're such scum. And so Rourke shows her, I think, her own weakness, you know, and she hates him for it. But she also loves him for being, for giving her hope. It's 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 really a fascinating dynamic and a great book. It's it's one of those stories that you can never really make into a movie sufficiently because Howard Rourke makes these weird buildings and Ayn Rand does a really good job of describing certain things about them that makes them weird. But if you actually wanted to make a movie, you'd have to find somebody that was like an incredible architect. You'd have to like find a Frank Lloyd Wright to make a bunch of fucking fake buildings for your movie. You need to just CG it. Well, not literally. I'm talking about design, not make the buildings. But they'd have to be something wholly different than any anything you've ever seen, which is what they are in the book. And that stuff's out there. When I took my architecture class, I can't recall any of the designers, but there was like a deconstructionalist movement where yeah. quite a few, not maybe about two or three prominent architects were designing some pretty strange stuff but it was really ushered in by the fact that architects could go beyond the drafting board and started like using computers and stuff to like interesting to tweak their designs so you could do really weird shapes but still have structural integrity Hmm, that's cool i actually like that yeah so you know the fountainhead was an important book for me it introduced me to a lot of new ideas and it it did instill in me the desire and the belief that you should pursue your goal, your creative goal or whatever it is. It doesn't, it's not like everyone has to be an artist. 
but you should do it. You should pursue that without letting external factors limit you in your pursuit, you know? I think that's very admirable. So then, probably two years later, I randomly found a copy of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep in a box belonging to a friend of ours. I had, I didn't, I'd never heard of Philip K. Dick. I didn't know what it was, but again, I liked the cover. Had you seen Blade Runner, the original version? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'd seen Blade Runner, but I didn't know this book was the basis for Blade Runner until after. I must have known it pretty soon. I'm sure I didn't finish the book without knowing. Because I think they use the term Blade Runner in the book. It's been a while since I read it. I should reread. But yes, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep was the novel that Blade Runner was based off of. Although I have heard that Ridley Scott didn't even finish the novel. If that's true, he's a prick. It's like 150 pages. Rick Deckard. That's the main character, right? The book is very different. Um, you know, the movie is mostly about the blade running, the bounty hunting of, of replicants, which is awesome. I don't blame Ridley Scott for focusing in on that aspect. Um, but the, the novel has some really fascinating stuff to it. One of the cooler things, um, see, Philip K. Dick was such a master of, of world building, and he would have he would just have the most random shit in his books that ultimately had nothing really at all to do with the plot, but were so fucking fascinating. So, for instance, in in this novel, um, they, there's this thing called a mood organ. And it's basically like the ultimate uh, pharmacological tool. You can just, you just punch in different codes and it makes you feel different moods. I love that. Yeah. So like one of the problems and it's, it's one of the earlier scenes in the novel, like Rick Deckard wakes up and his wife is there and his wife is a very unhappy person. And so he's trying to convince her to, you know, dial into the mood organ to feel better. She's like, I don't want to, I don't, I, I, you know, I've, I've programmed three hours of like a crippling depression. And he's like, why are you doing this? You know, just be, just be normal. Like you have this mood organ, but she's not, she's not feeling it. And, uh, so he tells her dial, like, I don't know, two, six, seven. And she goes, I don't want to dial the code that makes me want to dial. That's the last thing I want to dial if I don't want to dial. So you can even dial a code that makes you want to do it, you know? It's really fucking interesting, but it ultimately has nothing. It's only in that scene. There's, like, no more mood organ. At the end of the scene, Deckard, he, I think he dials in something to, like, make her feel better, and then another code that's, like, it was something along the lines of <laughs> loving acceptance of husband's wisdom in all matters. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty funny. But another piece of tech in the book that is much more central and important to the whole philosophy of it is this thing called the empathy box. 
it plays a fairly important role. So one of the, so um, this is true, this is also in the movie. One of the defining characteristics of the replicants is that they don't feel empathy. Mm-hmm. And so the test that they give in the movie and the book, the Voigt-Kampf test, mm-hmm. that's what it's testing for. It's trying to detect an empathy response. So wait, is that thing that Harrison Ford's character sets up to test Yeah. Rachel, is that the empathy box? No, that's the Voigt-Kampf test. Okay. Um, but it's, it's trying to detect an empathy response. That's why he says fucked up shit. Yeah. He's like, oh, you, you find out. Yeah. And uh, see on this earth, it's like a post collapse earth. So animals are extremely rare. Yeah. You wouldn't want to eat an animal if you upset Right. And a lot of people in the novel, they don't really cover this in the movie. They have electric animals, hence mm-hmm. the name of the novel. Do androids dream of electric sheep? Having a real animal on this earth is, it's quite a, a badge. But also most humans have emigrated off of earth at this point. So only like losers and rejects and freaks live on earth at this point. Um, and Blade Runners because they have to hunt down rogue replicants. But so anyway, back to the empathy box. Um, the empathy box is essentially okay sorry another aspect of this future history of earth is that there's virtually no crime this is a direct result of the empathy box Mm -hmm. and it's because what the empathy box does is you it's a it's a box and you grab these two handles and then you basically enter into this hallucination of of sorts but it's a shared hallucination that everyone who's linked into the box experiences with one another. It's, it's a fairly basic hallucination of an old man struggling to get up a hill. And as, he, as the old man is struggling to get up this hill, I forget what they call him, it's Mercer, M-E-R-C-E-R. And there's like a new religion called Mercerism, I think. Mercerism. Yeah, Wil- Wilbur Mercer or Mercer. So Mercer is the old man climbing up the hill and as he's going there's like uh, there's like people throwing rocks at him and like yelling discouragement and eventually Mercer gets knocked down to like the bottom of the hill and you have to start the whole thing over again. And so it's this stri- it's, it's not it doesn't sound particularly pleasant, you know. Mm-hmm. But what happens is with everybody's linked and they're all in this basically one body. It's not like they're all individually experiencing the same thing they're all like in Mercer's body. So they're all feeling each other's emotions and thoughts and things like that and the frustrations. So the empathy box is literally giving them the absolute total embodiment of empathy. Mm. Empathy being, of course, the ability to sense or even feel other people's emotions. And so because of the popularity of the empathy box and its effect, people become completely disinterested in committing crime because you don't want to hurt anybody because as soon as you plug into the empathy box, you're going to feel it. Mm-hmm. So when I was a young man, I don't know, that really blew my mind, you know? I was like, yeah, that's right. Because people lack empathy. I mean, that's why they do fucked up shit. And it, I guess it sounds kind of basic when you say it, but 
I don't know. I was I was a young man. I hadn't really thought about it explicitly in those kinds of terms, you know? And so empathy became extremely important to me. And I think that in a lot of ways it stood in stark contrast, as I said, to these concepts of, of self-interest that I had toyed with a few years previously reading Ayn Rand. And then, of course, as you know, uh, I became a very angry, aggressive liberal, mm-hmm. honestly, directly as a result of my, my newfound obsession with empathy. And it took a long time for me to realize that there actually is such a thing as like excessive empathy. Because if you obsess over it too much, you start to you start to lose the you start to lose the very important aspect like aspect of self-interest that is necessary just to get by as a person, you know? Like honestly, for a long time, I I I cared so much about what was going on in the world and how fucked up it was and how other people were suffering that I neglected my own life. And in some ways, I mean, I, I was kind of a loser as a result of that. Like, I didn't make any money, you know. I ended up just kind of feeling shitty all the time and, like, partying and, like, wasting time. So, I don't know. I think at some point I, I, I realized that and I, I thought back to, to the philosophies of Ayn Rand and I realized that you... In a certain way, you need to fuse these two things, you know, because everyone actually it does have a ton of self-interest. Even the most bleeding heart, like I love empathy person, they're fucking lying, dude. But the thing is, you should have self-interest because otherwise you're kind of an asshole and, you know, you're making a fool of yourself. I mean, you, you, you should, I, I don't know. I, okay, it's not that. What it really is is that you're, you're fucking deluding yourself because you are still self-interested. And it is important to care about others. And we should all do what we can to make the world a better place. But I, I think before you can do that, You gotta take care of your own shit, buddy.